0: Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, we are diving head fucking first into the sex swimming pool. We are talking sex, love, relationships with none other than Shan Boudram. So sit back, grab a fucking cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that? Shit? Hey, hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I do not. Understand. He did
1: what?
0: Forty-eight hours. What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her
1: Instagram? <laughs> and this is FML talk. Oh no, she didn't.
0: All right, y'all. Are you ready to talk about sex? Are you ready to really go there? Uh, we've done a couple episodes on sex. They're always very well received. They're always very fun. This one is a little different because Shan is a sex educator. She is a sexologist. She is a sex therapist. She's all the things. Um, She's so incredibly well-educated in sex relationships. And her story of how she came to do this is really unique and interesting. I really loved this conversation. It was like fun girl talk, but also like lots of educational good tips and tricks, not only sexually, but in relationships, in healthy relationships, how to like make sure you're showing up authentically in the bedroom, out of the bedroom, and really just in your fucking life in general. Um, I really feel like we need to consistently have an open dialogue about our sex life, about what makes us feel good. And it's important to not feel that stigma and shame around that. We gotta like know what we want, love what we want, and not be afraid to shout it from the fucking rooftops. I think that this episode is really a great look at kind of like the progression of a relationship, like starting with the hot and heavy sex, getting into the relationship, some tips and tricks on how to make sure you are in a healthy one. Uh, It's it's just it's all around good stuff, you guys. So let's get the fuck into it, shall we? Shan Boudram, welcome to FML Talk. I am so excited to have you here, girl. How are you?
1: I'm really great. I'm excited (laughs) to be here. Yay, I'm excited to have you here.
0: I know, I love it. Okay, so you have a really interesting background. Can you kind of just give everybody a little taste of what it is you do and how you came to be doing that?
1: Yes. So I talk about sex, love, and relationships for a living. I entered into this space because I had a really shitty sex life. That was the the short end of it. I was in my late teens at the Times, 2005. So I got to a space where I went to school for journalism and they say, write what you know. And if you know sports, write about sports. If you know politics, write about politics. And I was like... I want to write about what I don't know. And what I don't know is how to have a healthy, amazing sex life. And I want to learn. So I made it my passion area. And what I learned is that there was great information out there, just wasn't very accessible to the public, especially not to someone like myself. I wouldn't have naturally come across this life-changing aha material. So I made it my mission to make sex education sexy and accessible. And I published a book and then I got certified sex education counselor in Canada moved to California, and then I got certified as a sexologist and got my associate in sex education and had great sex. Things were going well. Then I realized that my romantic life was equally as tragic as my teenage life once was sexually. So, Mm. okay, well, maybe I could benefit from the same self-education, the same process of deep diving to see if there's something different I can do. And that led me to amazing ah ahas that, again, didn't feel accessible unless I sought them out through a library card. And uh, then I started talking about relationships and dating um, and intimacy in a more broader aspect. I got my degree in psychology and then now I'm I'm pursuing my master's in there as well. And for a living, I just look for ways to make information that could be life-changing to people a little bit more accessible and more digestible and fun to consume. And there's been amazing strides in the intimacy space because now I think a lot of people are on board with the fact that hey, if you don't have amazing sex or if you don't have an amazing love life, that isn't because you're doomed and you're not sexy or you're, you don't have the it factor. Instead, it's like it might be a lack of education and it's more yeah. in your control than you know. And if you do want to learn more and if you do want to make this a part of your ongoing education, there are people who can help you. And I hope that I am now considered one of those people. Oh my God,
0: I love that. You've like covered all the bases you need to like be like an empowered woman in this world. So I too really resonate with the having shittier sex when I was younger. I think porn and like what we see on TV and the media really like influences how we as women think we are supposed to be in the bedroom. Like I would get in there and it was very performative, very like, let me see like how great I can make this for the person I'm with and not ever being like, okay, but what about me? I don't even think I had an orgasm until like early twenties
1: and wasn't until like a partnered orgasm, a
0: partnered orgasm. Oh no, believe me, I was doing that by myself. But like, I was like, why can't I, why can't (laughs) I achieve this when I'm with someone? Isn't that the point of doing it? But it was always so performative to me. And it wasn't until my late twenties that I started having like what I would call good sex. So can you kind of give us a little bit? of backstory as to what your shitty sex life was like and how that kind of transformed when you started to like find all this educational stuff.
1: Yeah, I think exactly what you said. No orgasms, no intimacy, no connection. I didn't learn more about myself or my body. I barely knew about the other person's body that I was with. I was so in my head that I could never be in the moment. And uh, because these partners were transactional I wasn't getting opportunities like expanded to intimate spaces and even if they weren't transactional they were repeated we were built on such a toxic foundation that it just never mm. it never went up from there because it was just and it was phony you know there's the, the most difficult place to be is in delusion because there is no improvement in sight because you're not even choosing to look so that right. was a big problem. I was faking orgasms. I was faking joy. I was faking satisfaction. So like, how do you correct that problem when you don't even admit there is a problem with somebody? So I think mm-hmm. that was just basically, it. I just saw no end in sight. You ever be in a sexual experience with someone that you're like, there's no possible way I'm going to orgasm. So I might as well um, lie.
0: I, I literally, there's a one night stand in the book I wrote where that come like that exact sentence, that comes out of my mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're just like, there's yeah. no place for this to go other than like, brutal honesty or like let's just not make this situation even more awkward or even worse let's just like end it and pretend it's something different so yeah that was my experience prior and then I learned about my body I learned how to educate others about my body I decoupled orgasm from penetrative orgasm I didn't mm. no longer felt like well if I don't orgasm in the way that I see in porn that it doesn't count or right. it's not valid. So I started to like just lean into what worked for my body and embracing that as being enough. And from mm-hmm. that point on, I started having better, more reciprocal, mutual, explorative, authentic sex. And I think authentic sex is like, even as now, I'm, you know, I have two kids. And whenever I feel lost in my sex life, and I feel like there's something really big happened, and now there's a change or a shift in either how my body feels or how my body looks or how I feel about sexuality overall. What always saves me is if I'm able to find my way back to authenticity, which isn't Mm -hmm. as simple as just like thinking about it, you have to go on like a deep dive exploration of like who you are, and what feels like it's in flow for you in that moment. And yeah, that's how I keep my sex life great, which I would say I have a great sex life.
0: Yeah. So for those listening, Do you have a great sex life? I gotta know. I, I do actually. It's so funny. I just was recording a video earlier today. I'm pregnant right now. I'm five months pregnant. <laughs> and the first trimester, I was like, I don't want to be touched with a 10 foot pole. Like, give me my vibrator. Don't, I don't want to cuddle. Like your dick feels like sandpaper. No, thank you. The second trimester, my poor husband's like, I need a day off. <laughs> like, <laughs> We got to We have to take a break, <laughs> but like in a great way. And it's been different for me, like different areas feel more heightened and sensitive now. Like it's become a more like pleasurable, intimate sex. I mean, you know, I think every relationship you go through your ebbs and flows where like, you'll be having like really great sex. And then you're just kind of like doing it to, to get one off at some point, like it kind of like changes, but I feel like right now in our relationship, it's, the best it's ever been, which is so interesting to me because I know a lot of women are like, oh, I feel gross. And like, I'm like, things are hanging in weird ways. And I haven't resonated with that a whole lot. And I've been very thankful. I don't know if I'll feel like that in the third
1: trimester. I'll
0: have to circle back and let everybody know on that. But yeah, it's been good. How was sex for you when you were pregnant?
1: Yeah, I had the first pregnancy, similar experience to you both times, assuming you had like a not positive first trimester. Nauseous. Um, or, it
0: wasn't like terrible, but like it was food aversions, a little bit of nausea, and just like not
1: feeling super like very tired. Yes. Yes. So I had the same experience with both pregnancies, but in my first pregnancy, I had what you had where the turnaround happened. And you know, you have an increase in blood flow that's happening. And that an increase in blood flow means things are puffier and more sensitive and so more receptive to touch. And your nerve endings are a little bit more raw. So it's many people's experiences that their orgasms become very different. I never had like an A-spot orgasm or like really any like additional vaginal sensitivities. Like even the G-spot was kind of meh for me. But after Mm. pregnancy, that completely changed. And I think up until now, Mm. even I still have the benefits. My heart, some people have a desensitization. I was more sensitized as a result of, you know, giving my body in this way. So Mm. I had a similar experience to you, but my second pregnancy, I definitely like had no sex drive throughout the entire thing start to finish oh, wow. just because in addition, I just was so, so tired and overworked. And when you have another small person who's demanding right. of your time, the last <laughs> thing I wanted was anyone to want anything from me at all, period. So yeah, at the end of the day, when everybody was asleep and there was no emails to respond to, and if my husband came tapping on my shoulder, I was like, no, never. I was like, you get a fuck buddy, go get a happy massage. I don't care what you do. Just leave me out of it.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. You said something interesting earlier that was needing to reconnect and have sex in a more authentic way. For people that kind of like piqued their interest when they heard that, can you give some examples of how you can do that? Because I think it's such an interesting idea and thing to say that that's something that would be great for us to do. But I don't know if people necessarily know how to do it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a very rare thing to come across. My uh, husband, who's like sitting right there. can see it. I know. I, I can see, I'm like, I love that. They, <laughs> they're always just one doorway, like talking just about one their sex life too. <laughs> uh, we started out as uh, fuck buddies. And at the time that we did that, I was auditioning people for that role. Like I was specifically looking at like some people are looking for a long-term partner. I was like looking for a fuck buddy. So I would just put on Beyonce, wear a sports bra and invite dudes over, make out with them. Yeah. Like, Is there a flow or is there not a flow? <laughs> and the reason why he became my like winner, winner, chicken dinner, like there's something with him is he was so authentic. Like I really felt like he was there. And so I give this story, it's graphic, but not graphic. He was fingering me. It's okay, wait, wait, we love graphic. Okay, great. (laughs) So he was fingering me and I looked at his face and it was like a painter who was listening to the canvas, Mm. right? Like not a painter who came and was like, I'm drawing a dog today. It was a painter (laughs) who was like, what is this canvas saying that it wants me to do? And like, Mm. let the art speak to me. And then as I'm making the art, I'm responding to it like, Okay, I want to put red. Okay, put the red there. What would really complement it the way that I stroked it? Like, and that's what authenticity is it is spontaneous, it is unplanned, it is responsive, it's sensual, right? Like, mm-hmm. I am listening to my sens- senses and allowing those to guide and inform what I feel right now and what I'm going to do next. And whenever people say to me, like, I want to spice things up in the bedroom, it's like, if you just showed up authentically, it's going to be different every single time. Right. It's like if you are an intuitive cooker versus like ingredients-based cooker, right? Like if you have a formula for how you make grandma's apple pie every single time, like there's something tried, test and true about that, where there's a space for that. But ultimately like when you can allow a little bit of nuance to things, and if you learn something new, you try it in the moment or you respond differently or, you know, just Mm -hmm. experimentation really comes from like authentic curiosity and presence and wanting to be there and also wanting to know how your partner is feeling. So Yeah, Yeah, I think that that's something that was kind of baked into our sexual relationship from the beginning. And I attribute to a lot of our success, you know, years and years down the line. I love that. Okay, we have to talk about this because it's not
0: super common, I would say, that fuck buddies end up in a relationship and then getting married and being super happy and successful. So how the fuck did that work for you? Girl,
1: I honestly wish it didn't happen that way because... (laughs) It was such a great relationship and such an amazing example of like the possibilities that can happen when people are honest, create clear expectations and boundaries and show up for each other ethically, even if it's not in a commitment. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I wish it stayed at Just Fuck buddies and Friends with Benefits because then I could be married to somebody else and tell you it's very possible to have an amazing sexual based relationship as a woman that goes no further, that is amazing right. as is. but. It was just so great that it just kept going. I think that was (laughs) it. It's just like, yeah, all the the ingredients, like we were very clear when we were in each dynamic that we existed in, because we uh, progressed, I think, very like sequentially. Every Mm -hmm. time that we progressed the relationship, we were really committed to being great at that. We weren't trying to push things along to a a goal um, or force things inorganically. It was really just like, how do I show up for you given like how I feel and what I want today? And it just happened to align so often that next thing you knew we were walking down the aisle and so right yeah how did you
0: have the conversation of okay we've been in this fuck buddy situation for however long and who wanted something more first and how did you approach that because so many of my listeners will always be like I'm in a fucking situation ship I don't know what to do like how do I get out of it and be like oh actually like I want a relationship how do I approach that conversation so who was it that Came to the
1: table first and was like, hey. (laughs) Yeah, I think in general, if you are in a dynamic that you don't like, get out. Like that's it, right? And I was having this conversation yesterday how there's a very big difference between ultimatums and limitations. Mm. And so an ultimatum is either we're together or this is over. And a limitation is given the way that you want to show up for me intimately, I have to put boundaries and limitations on what I can offer you in order to feel comfortable about our exchange, right? So, I think that the limitations element's really, really important. And there was just a lot of limits on our intimacy given when we were just fuck buddies. And we, I always say fuck buddies and friends and benefits are different because traditionally, as I said, I was looking for a sexual partner. I wasn't looking for a friend. So we weren't even right. friends to begin with, but we just created very clear parameters around like, here's how we'd be successful in this given role. And when someone it usually happened like this, like we're fuck buddies. And then one day he was like, I'm having a football party. Do you want to come? And I was like, ah, can to meet your friends? I got to bring a friend now. Like this feels like it's a breach of, you know, what our right. you know, contract is. Am I ready for that? Am I comfortable with that? Okay. I'll give it a try. I'll go. I go. And it's not weird. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe now we can start engaging with each other more socially. Like, what does that look like? And so Mm -hmm. then we became friends and now we're friends for a while. And this feels really great. We have this even flow dynamic. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I'm going to an event. Do you want to come? Is this a date? Oh, how do I feel about a date with this person? Okay. We'll go on a date. See how we feel. Okay. This feels good. Now we're dating. So it was more like that and less like, ah, how do I make my fuck buddy my husband, right? Right. I think if you get to that space, you're already a little bit in trouble and it's time to renegotiate the boundaries and be clear about your feelings. Be honest about what you want. I think a big part of relationships in general is not just like being with people who you like, but being with people who bring out the best in you. And if you're in dynamics where someone's getting over on you, it's just almost damn near impossible to be your best, most relaxed, authentic, cool self. And you have to protect that at all costs. Like, I got to like me in this dynamic. And if I feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick, how am I supposed to be relaxed, fluid, cool, and organic?
0: Right, right, 100%. And I think so much in any relationship dynamic, whether that's, a significant other or a family member or a fuck buddy, like whoever it is, the communication is so important. And you setting those boundaries and being clear about what you want and speaking up for things that, you know, make you feel uncomfortable, or if you're wanting something more, people can't read minds. And so many times, like we get caught in these relationships, playing these fucking games that everybody was playing back in high school. And it's like, by the time you've like come to the end of that game, like they've fallen for a person that isn't even the authentic you. So where are you at that point? So what can you say for people that are in relationships that are, you know, used to playing those games and trying to play that cat and mouse bullshit? Like, let's like not text back for this amount of time. Like, what would you say to the people
1: that are so used to doing that? There's some benefit to that. I'm not anti games, because I think it's literally whatever allows you to show up cool, relaxed and confident. Like that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. So I mean, I have a hard time distinguishing between games and like strategy, because, mm-hmm. you know, strategy is important. When I was in a fuck buddy relationship, I had tons of strategies in place to ensure that I didn't over invest in somebody that I was trying logically to just look at sexually. So right. I never, ever called him first, ever. I never texted him first because I knew my brain would get caught up if I text and didn't get a response, I would start to feel like, well, why isn't he responding to me? And then mm-hmm. I would start trying to impress him. I didn't want that dynamic. So I played games, I guess, but the ultimate end goal wasn't to like, trick the other person or to fool that person, it was to ensure that I still felt comfortable in the dynamic. And I didn't feel like, again, like I was at a loss. Right. So whatever you have to do, if you, if your certain games or strategies are put in place to ensure that you can be better for the relationship, like I know that if I don't do this, if I date multiple people, I'm not doing that, to try to make them jealous. I'm doing that so that I can continue to date them casually and not get too hyper obsessed with the fact that we're not advancing to more committed style because I know Mm -hmm. I'm also playing the field like that's different to me but if what you're saying is that like there's a very big difference between what you want and what you do in a relationship like I want this to be committed but I'm doing a bunch of things that don't support that I would try to find ways to marry the two together like I said in my situation with my uh, husband is that it wasn't like it was always a conversation like I'm having feelings for you. Do you feel the same way for me? It was invitations. So Mm -hmm. if our given dynamic right now is that we have sex, we watch one episode of a Netflix show, we have sex again, then you leave. Maybe one time I'm like, do you want to go for dinner afterwards? Mm -hmm. And then if they decline, okay, maybe they were busy that time. And then maybe I ask them again, they decline again. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're busy that time. Then maybe the third time I'm like, hey, I'm actually trying to make more intentional time for us to do things outside of my apartment. Like, what do Mm -hmm. you think about that? And give them an opportunity to see, like, are they meeting you where you're at? And then if you really feel like you're not clear, you can then go ahead and ask. But at that point, it's pretty obvious. They just want to fuck you and watch that one TV show and then go about their business. But yeah, (laughs) you should try to find a way to start marrying the two together where it's like more of what I desire is like reflected in what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think limitations are very important too because I think a lot of people make the mistake of like giving everything to somebody and then because they think that the more they give the more likely they will be to get what they want and that doesn't really work that way. Like if I go to a mm-hmm. restaurant and they're like we're offering sandwiches I'm like okay how much sandwich costs $7. If I give them $300 they're still going to give me a $7 sandwich, right? Like they to say thanks right. for the tip but <laughs> we're still only offering $7 sandwiches. Right. And I think a lot of people make that mistake in relationships.
0: Mm, that's a really good analogy. And yes. I, and I think you're fucking spot on. I think a lot of people do that in a lot of their relationships. I saw a video that you did recently about breaking up with a soulmate. And I think you and I have a lot of similar ideas around the fact that we can have multiple soulmates and it's not just like this one fucking end-all be-all person. Can you dive into that a little bit for me? Did you have a personal
1: experience with that? Well, tell me more about your reflections and your experiences.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I have had some different experiences in my life. I was with someone in high school that was kind of like the first big, like, you know, puppy love of my life that like at the time I would have absolutely told you was my soulmate. When we were together, he we were together for about three years. He passed away in a car accident when I was eighteen, and it like really devastated me. And was like it created a lot of fear of abandonment that opened up a lot of wounds about losing my dad. And so that was my first kind of like big experience with love slash what I in my brain at that time would equate as a soulmate, which of course starts like in your brain being so fucked up about like, that means they're going to be ripped away from you in this really tragic, traumatic way. I then married my first husband who ended up cheating on me with a 19 year old. We ended up getting a divorce. And then the man that I met after who I just felt like madly in love with invited me on a month long trip to Europe, broke up with me before we were getting on a plane and just like devastated my soul. And everybody that like reads the book is like, that was your soulmate. That was your twin flame. (laughs) uh, From all the healing that I've done since then, since that trip and that relationship, I really view him as like a karmic partner that came in to really like blow shit up in my life because it changed the entire trajectory of my life and my career. This like one relationship was the catalyst for that. But I don't feel that necessarily he was a soulmate. I feel like the husband that I'm with now, my current partner, he and I are so compatible in like an authentic emotional way. And it comes like our our bond and our friendship comes before everything else, which is secondary, like the relationship, the sex, which is all great and amazing. But that core feeling is really what I now identify with as a soulmate.
1: I love that. Yeah. And I, that's exactly uh, the analogy that I gave is the difference between a fruit and a fruit tree. And a fruit is something that you're like deeply drawn to. It's very attractive. You want it and it wants you too. Like a fruit's destiny is to be consumed, but it's a single use mm-hmm. experience. And it can be amazing if you could accept it at that. Right. If you're like, this was amazing mango but the mango's over. So I'm going to move on. The problem is when you're like wanting it to be more and to provide more nourishment when it just wasn't designed to do that in your life. Where when you've got those life partners, it's like, this isn't a fruit, this is a fruit tree. And in order for a tree to grow, it needs cooperation. It needs like two competing sources of sun and water and sun and soil. So I think in general, like The intentionality, the mutuality of that is what it allows it to bear multiple bits of fruit, but it needs so Mm. much more consistent, deliberate cooperation from people than the fruit does. But I think if you can look at it that way, that like, there's a lot of people that you're going to feel that, oh my gosh, feeling towards, right? Like It's like 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 a magnetic pull. Yes. And it's interesting because I just did this documentary on Elizabeth Taylor. I was a commentator on it. And they were like, what do you think about the fact, you know, she had seven husbands, uh, I think like seven or eight husbands before she passed. But like, that's, this woman was born in the thirties when you married every single person that you had that feeling towards. Right. That was today. I've been married. She's, that's Taylor Swift, right? Right. Taylor Swift (laughs) has had all of these strong, public, passionate, romantic Mm. relationships. We don't live in a time now where we socially pressure people to like, do something about that feeling in a very committed way. And maybe similarly, I'm not sure if you identify that with your first husband, where it's like, if we just kind of let it be, you know, maybe we were drawn together and there was some good that we had in each other's lives, but it was over, but we didn't allow it to be. And then we forced it into something else. And now then it turned ugly, right? Um, Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I
0: think think that's so often... When we feel that initial feeling, we put these blinders on and it's like, I see, no, that's not a red flag. It's pink. It's fine. Let's go this way. Like, and we're like, let's pay attention a little more because those are such good indicators as to this isn't necessarily a soulmate. This is like a really intense, hot love affair that could be great for a couple months and then chill the fuck out. Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm actually have an episode of my podcast coming out next week about the science of love at first sight. Because Mm. this feeling and this like fable forces, I mean, not forces, it encourages people to stay in these tragic stories because they wrote the book as soon as they met the person. Because, right, they're like, oh, here's the feeling. I remember Disney. And then let me write the rest of this book with this relationship, even though like I know nothing about you. And then midway through when it's nothing, when it's so off script, I'm like, well, we still have to get to our ending because this is the story that I'm told. This is the story Mm. I'm telling. We are cosmic lovers. We are twin flames. Like, yes, it's hard right now, but relationships take hard work. In the end, it's going to work out because our beginning was so magical. And it's like, you can kind of let go of that concept and take it more as face value. I think you can still find value and magic in it, but the magic doesn't have to turn black.
0: Yeah, I agree. And this whole thing that's like, relationships are so hard marriage is hard work like look I'm not saying that relationships are just a fucking walk in the park 24 7 and you should never have any problems but like my relationship isn't that hard like girl. we don't like go through that much heavy shit like we have our things of course and like there's outside forces that you know will cause us to have to like really band together and like talk through things but like it's not hard. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like pulling teeth every day. Like that's kind of an indicator that you might be in the wrong relationship in
1: my opinion. Yeah. Spoken like a true person who has been in the wrong relationship. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And I can attest to that prior to my husband, my relationship previous was so hard. And I remember being at a restaurant once sitting across from him just is awful time. It's just the majority of the times, you know, the Split that I like to say is 80-20. It's not a hard rule, yeah. but 80% of the time your relationship should be happy, harmonious, fluid, agreeable, joyful, emotionally stable. 20% of the time, it could be chaotic, right? And through chaos, growth occurs, right? You know, and that's you need to be challenged in some cases. And sometimes being challenged is not comfortable. So mm-hmm. relationships aren't always comfortable is probably a better adage and relationships take hard work. But if you're working 20% of the time and enjoying yourself 80, you're probably in the right space there. But yeah, I was in a relationship that was flipped. It was 80% negative and 20% like, okay, this feels closer to stable. Right. We were at a restaurant and there was this thing written behind him that said, you know, look inside yourself and all you should feel is love, love, love. And -hmm. I remember reading that and being like, okay, this is it. This is my cue. Like I have to look inside myself. I have to be made of pure love and I can love enough for both of us. Like if I could just get to that place where all I have inside of me is love even if I'm experiencing hatred towards him or pain or betrayal, whatever else, like I can keep offering love if I'm made of that. Like that was my mentality, which yeah, that's definitely a sign you're not in the right relationship.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I get so many DMs from people that at least listen to the show or that have read the book that are like, I I feel like comfortable. I'm too comfortable to leave. And it's like, what if I leave this comfortability? Cause it's fine. It's not a bad relationship. Like We're not fighting all the time, but like, I'm not really getting all my needs met or getting everything I want. But what if I leave and nothing better comes? And I'm like, the fact that you know that and are clear that like this isn't enough for you and isn't that great, that's your answer, dude. Like to move on and to go find something different or to come together and communicate and figure out a way that you can get to that place if you think that that's possible. But I think so many people are so scared to leave the comfortability. And it's like, in my opinion, life is too long and too short to not have that magical, amazing comfort and feeling with someone that love can bring.
1: Yes, I agree. I think a big piece of that too is like playing that Sesame Street game, like one of these things doesn't belong. Mm. So like if you are traditionally somebody who's just never satisfied, so if you're like, of course, I'm not satisfied in my relationship because I'm not satisfied anywhere. I don't, right. uh, I was talking to Nick Vial and he's engaged now and he mm-hmm. he's another like relationship podcaster, if you're not familiar, but yeah, yeah. he was on The Bachelor and identify with himself that he's just somebody who's very rarely satisfied. And that information changed the way that he approached his relationship dynamics. And he was very like cautious of that and clear of that when he was pursuing the romantic love that he's in right now. So you Mm. could be that person. So one of the things doesn't belong. If it's like, I'm negative everywhere. So I'm going to choose one place not to be like that. I'm going to work very, (laughs) and if you're that person, then maybe staying inside of what feels comfortable might be the best choice for you. But if you're not that person overall, and like this relationship is kind of the one thing you're not satisfied with, that's probably a better indicator that to your point, it's just not the right relationship.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to hear your opinion from, you know, the work you do with like helping people get into really like successful healthy relationships. What your take on getting over heartbreak is?
1: Uh it's hard and there's just like there's no way around it. You have to get go through it.
0: Mm.
1: You can have all the knowledge Everyone's... in the world. I mean, I have a lot of knowledge and so I think my the last time I went through a heartbreak, I was able to identify my feelings which is helpful. Like mm when you're quitting smoking, the fact that you know cigarettes are addictive is incredibly helpful because you don't attribute that draw to something cosmic or something fate destined. You're not like me and cigarettes are meant to be together or else why would I feel this way? It's like, no, bitch, nicotine is addictive. That's why you feel that way. (laughs) And then you look for strategies to like work around that knowledge. So I think knowledge can help you cope, but it's Mm. not going to change the urges. It's not going to change the experience. And it may hurt the same, but your pain tolerance may be a little higher because you understand what's happening underneath. So yeah. I think that underst- my favorite breakup book of all time, anyone listening to this, is a Conscious Uncoupling by Catherine Woodward. Mm. And I think she gives a really clear breakdown of like what's happening in the mind and the body for breakups and like strategies, not for getting through it faster per se, but getting through it more impactfully so that you can go right. on the other side better for it, no matter how bad the breakup was.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so important. Whenever people DM me and they're like, oh, you know, I'm scared to get into a new relationship because I got my heart broken. I'm like, hi, you're talking to the (laughs) talking to the choir. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, look, you have to keep your heart open. You have to move forward and go through it. Because you're either going to be wildly in love or you're going to get your heart broken again and it's going to suck, but you're going to learn a lot about yourself and become a different person. And it's going to propel you forward to that next relationship in such an important and powerful way.
1: Could, right? The real truth is that a lot of people (laughs) get stuck on certain phases of the breakup process and they don't get that improvement because they don't move on. Like a part of breaking up is the negative bond formation. And in order to do that, when you first meet somebody, it's intimate idealization. I have to justify why I'm choosing you over billions of other people. So I have to create an unrealistic picture of who you are almost, which includes like amplifying your positives and minimizing your negatives. When you break up with someone, you have to do almost the exact opposite where I have to amplify your negatives and reduce your positives in order to tell my brain why the person that I used to rely on to feel safe and secure is no longer an option. But if you don't move past that phase, you just turn into a bitter person, right? Right. Extremely resentful. And that bitterness can become an obsession for you. It can disallow you from entering new new partnerships, disallows you from uh, regaining trust that you'll ever find love again, regaining Mm. trust that like this could be positive on the other side with a different individual. So you do have to like be mindful you can't just allow yourself to go with the feelings that you're experiencing heartbreak you have to progress maybe it's not like you know six week process for everybody but yeah it doesn't always work out for everybody because some people stay stuck so be mindful of, of that
0: yeah what is your best
1: advice to consciously not stay stuck have an idea of like ideal places to get to next like based on the book, actually, the Catherine Woodward book, but after like the negative bond, you have to untangle the tungsten chain, like go through the processes of what actually went wrong. And so Mm. when doing that, you should develop a lot of empathy for the other person. Like, okay, if I really think about this relationship, who they are, who I am, who we were together, who we were before, who we want to be after, like what really happened here. Mm. And through that process, you can develop some empathy and accountability that should make it so that maybe you still don't like that person or don't choose to have them in your life but you're not like harboring this like deep hatred and like unfounded resentment towards them and then after that it's bond reformation so mm. it's like no longer are you like my partner but there's like another space for you right now like what are we now instead and maybe that's friends and maybe that's people who wish the best for each other or it's people who never want to talk again but at least now like I can categorize this in a different way that doesn't bring me back to a dark place.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. As we're closing out, what's one thing you can leave our listeners with that will give them kind of like some hope if they are in a relationship that kind of needs to be more connected and more authentic and they, they really need to like focus on something to move forward to try and accomplish that?
1: Yeah, I think the best news is that one of my favorite TED Talks talks about like the secret to long-term relationships. And it says uh, threefold self-insight, emotional regulation, and mutuality. And if you break that down, that means two thirds of all relationships are in our control. And that's good because you're the person who you're going to be stuck with the rest of your life. So you might as well, like it's good news if the solution is within your control. So I think- Mm. First, looking at that, like how can I show up differently? How can I lean into more compassionately to my partner? And then in doing that work, and if you're like, I'm working on me, I'm checking my emotions, I'm doing my best to be mindful of how I impact my partner, but mutuality, if they aren't doing that shit for you, then like that's indicated that you're not in a, in a partnership that's really gonna ever go anywhere. Yeah. So start with you. And then if like, okay, I've done all of me I can do and they're not meeting me where I'm at. Then that also allows you to, sever their relationship a little bit more guilt-free because you're like, I know I tried.
0: Right, um, I put in I know my I did
1: my part, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I love that so much. And let's do
0: best uh, personal sex tip. Ooh, you go first. I would say- Really spend intimate time with yourself so that you know very well what you love and what makes you tick so that you can direct your partner and teach them how to do that for you in the
1: bedroom. I'm going to say, because I wanted to think about that, because I've been having really great sex of late and I was like trying to reflect on like what it is. And unfortunately, it's the tip I already gave. It's the authenticity tip because Mm. the other day we were in this sexual position. I was like, what even is this position? Like, (laughs) what is this? Isn't a book somewhere? But it was just because, like, the way that we were making out, the way that things happen, the next thing you know, it just like formed itself. Like, each bit of art that we're making is making itself as we go along. And there's something Mm -hmm. so fun about that. And it makes me want to be sexual, with my partner, because I'm like, what are we going to make tonight? Right? Like (laughs) it's that creativity. It's that kiddishness that you can bring to it when you're just showing up and being playful and not being my, that's a big part of that too, is releasing, you know, self-consciousness because you're like, I can end up in any position and I can let this person see any part of my body or experience any part of me. And I can still be present for my pleasure and not be Mm. so focused on the performative aspect of things.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said kiddish and playful, because I think so many times people get stuck in this mentality of like, sex has to be serious. And I have to be like this, like great sex goddess. And it's like, sometimes weird shit happens during sex. And like, you have to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And otherwise, it's like super fucking awkward. So you have to be comfortable enough with yourself and with your partner to just like laugh and be in that authentic moment. I love that.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the amplification, and yeah, it was a joy. Thank you for the work that you do. I think that you show up in such an important way. And I was on your page today. I'm like, this makes sense. Why you have the success Aww. that you do? Just because you're willing to present a, st- a side of life that most people are so afraid to showcase. And it obviously worked Thank out you. beautifully for you, which provides inspiration. But even if people are not that place yet, where it's worked out, to know that you're not alone just means everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, girl. I really appreciate that. Can you tell everybody where they can find you to get all of your great information and content that you put out there and where the podcast is?
1: Yeah, I have a podcast. It's called Lovers and Friends. And like I said, my next week's episode is about love at first sight. But we're just interested in analyzing the intimate parts of life and trying to find jump off points for people to improve their own sex lives and their own love and relationships through much of what you do through personal stories.
0: Love that. And where can they find you on social media?
1: I'm going to just leave at the podcast because oh, I think okay. people forget I don't want to <laughs> overload their brain. You're very busy. So lovers Go and to friends podcast right now, wherever you are, just search that up. And I'd love to have you love it. Awesome. Thank you for being here, girl. Thanks for having me. Bye.
0: I want to thank Shan so much for coming on and sharing all of that goodness with us. Please go check out her podcast, Lovers and Friends. I will be doing so myself. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode today. I loved being able to have such an open forum about sex, I think it's so important that we continuously bring that to the forefront in a non-shameful way. And we as women are able to talk about it and be empowered by it. I think for so long, women were so sexually suppressed and shamed, um, whether it was like slut shaming or just not being free in our own bodies. And I'm so excited to be living in a time where we get to take that shit back Um, And I love when we have powerful women on the podcast that are able to speak on that in such an incredible way. I also totally love that (laughs) that her and her husband started as like legit fuck buddies that she was auditioning and two kids later in a happy life. Here they are. (laughs) Absolutely fucking awesome. Um, I hope you guys also really Picked from this episode, one of the things that I want to leave you with on this ending note is showing up authentically, whether that's in your sexual relationship or your actual, you know, like face to face relationship. And I really loved that analogy that she said about the fruit growing on the tree. A mango might look nice and fucking juicy and it might be really fun to eat for a month or two, and then it's gone. We don't want the mangoes in our lives, although they play their part and like, thank you for being here. We appreciate it for the whatever part you served. Um, But we're looking for the fucking fruit trees, okay? Find the Tay's, find the unicorns, find the motherfucking fruit trees in your life. Show up authentically with those fruit trees. Are we even making any fucking sense anymore? I don't know. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatpreyfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers.